when the grave of the devil is disturbed by the plow, the satanic essence of evil wreaks violent and revolting revenge. But it weren't human, sir. There were fur. Then it was an animal's remains. They, they were more like some fiend. And the evil grows quickly, attacking first the youth of the village and making them the devil's children. Look, look. Oh, God, I prayed I'd never see that again. That's what they call the devil's skin. Doctor, witchcraft is dead and discredited. Are you bent on reviving forgotten horrors? How do we know, sir, what is dead? The blood on Satan's claws. It was like a horrible disease, highly contagious and deadly dangerous. Spirit of the dark, take thou my blood, my flesh, my skin, and walk. Holy Behemoth, father of my life, speak now, come now, rise now from the forest, from the fa- The Blood on Satan's Claw stars Patrick Wymark as the judge who tries Satan, and Linda Hayden as Angel Blake, daughter of Satan. And now... It's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Thou stole my master's skin. Thou shalt pay with thine. I think thou could be saved. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. Come on, it's just a little piece of skin. Do you think Satan's gonna miss it or something? Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. What is this? See? In Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools, but I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration or you study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose! Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift 
and merciless. Right, but how do I get to now the... go! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment! Virginia, summon the subject! Look, look, look. I, I, I don't think it quite worked out this... I'm here, what did... Whoa! What happened to the bun-bun? Oh! I, I was just... That's a bunny, right? I, it was. Okay, just... Take, take it away. There. Are you going to send it where you sent Perry Farrell? Probably, yes. Okay, that's all I, that's as far as I want to know. Now, uh, I, I think I've brought some guests in because we're going to be talking about a very British film today. I'm yeah. not very British, so that's I probably know good. I'm not very British, so I brought in uh, two people who are very much British? associated with the British Isles <laughs> and horror because this is a horror film oh boy is this a horror film <laughs> uh, I went and reached out to my friends in the uh, great library of dreams to get Jim and Teresa to come in from commentary club to help yep. us out with blood on Satan's claw and it's an absolute pleasure to do so. Yes, it certainly oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you see the movie, Chris? Oh, I did. And where has this movie been all my life? Oh, yeah. I, we've discussed <laughs> I'm a sucker for, for supernatural horror, especially period piece supernatural horror or pagan-y period horror. So, like, I don't know how I've... I've miss it like i've had like i haven't seen Witchfinder general but i've had it on my list for years but this one just sort of never really got under my radar and oh boy like in the first 10 minutes i realized this was going to be different than uh than i expected it, it was from the way higher in quality than i was expecting i was expecting <laughs> mm -hmm. sort of like you know dollar store hammer <laughs> well, the well, title, Blood on I, Satan's I, Claw, you, you imagine some yeah, demon slasher yeah. movie kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. they, they changed from the original title, didn't they? Well, originally, the, the first script was called The Devil's Touch, mm. which was quite classy. Mm. And uh, Tony Tense, ahead of Tiger, went, no, 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 you can't have that. Yeah. <laughs> and so it became Satan's Skin. And then it was Sam Arkoff of AIP who was doing the American distribution. Go, no, no, no. We need, we need three marquee words: mm. blood, Satan, claw. Yep. <laughs> now, <laughs> back when, when this was still a portmanteau, right? Yes. Well, yes. The original, when um, uh, the writer Robert uh, Win Simmons, he mm. um, was touting for for work, and he sent off just tons of spec letters. Mm -hmm. And one landed on the desk of Christopher Neem, who um, 
he was involved with Hammer and some Amicus, and he was also involved with uh, his own production company, Chilton Pictures. Right. And um, he'd forgotten he'd written this letter. Then, actually, bizarrely, on New Year's Day, he got this reply saying, if you've got a script, um, we've got a studio book for the 1st of April. Um, can we have it by next Thursday? <laughs> and so, and so Robert Winsmith, he, um, he wrote this script, and the original brief was, can you do it as three stories? Because we might want to do it as a portmanteau, or... We can do three kind of like one-hour television films, right? Um, but as that the production process went on, sense. yeah, and I think it, the fact that it started out as a portmanteau is part of its strength because it contributes I, I to so. that just yeah. sense of total wrongness. It just well, like I have a note in here. I didn't know that it was that it could could have been in different parts. Because it's just sort of like seems like the lead. Well, there doesn't seem to be a lead at the beginning. I thought it was the guy with the uh, that looked like Darren from Bewitched with the long hair, chopped his hand off. I thought he was going to be the, the the lead character or, or the main character, and then he just sort of like dropped off till you, you know, just got a couple shots of him later with his stump, <laughs> and that <laughs> that was it. So that would make sense that like. That that would that would have been his third of the movie that that you know that probably would have ended right. when he uh, chopped his hand off. Well, that's it because he wrote it as sort of three stories, but he wanted to write one script anyway, and he thought instead of doing the usual sort of having a frame story and characters then then cut away to a tale, then back to the frame, then to another tale, he thought it'd be fun to kind of sort of stack the tales together and link them up. And it was when um, they brought on Piers Haggard to direct. Piers Haggard said, no, this should be all one story, not a portmanteau. Because the original script was actually set in Victorian times. I had heard that, yes. Yeah. It was Piers Haggard who said, well, can we do something a bit different? Can we do like 16th century? Because that feels more witchcrafty. Oh, definitely. And um, as it was, Tygon, the previous third, released Witchfinder General. Mm -hmm. had gone down a storm. And so Tony Tenzer said, yep, whatever you like. <laughs> Um, and he, you know, famously, uh, the writer said he had a meeting with Tony Tenser, who said, "Right, every ten minutes, we need either some blood or some boobs." <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, you know, they, they rewrote it, and Piers Haggard worked. He mainly say he worked on the dialogue to um, get that sort of oldie worldy Jacobean mm. feel, and um, they sort of beefed up sort of the links of the script. But it is weird because it is a film without a lead character there is one character that runs through all of it and that is the actual uh, ralph the guy who um plows right. up the, the, the devil yeah. Yeah. in the beginning he sort of pops up all the way through mm. and it's kind of in many ways he's really like a dark fairy tale because he's kind of like the good woodcutter yes mm -hmm. who will run in to save uh, red riding hood um and oh. sort of you know it, it, the film riffs on a lot of those things brilliantly, particularly with mm. the, um, the, uh, the the probably the worst and most horrendous scene, the uh, the rape of Kathy Vespers, mm. uh, where he he hears her calling and then arrives too late, yeah, rather than coming in it. with his axe like mm. he would right. in a fairy tale. I wonder what viewers in Britain in 1971 thought of that necrophiliac necromantic rape incest rape no less well that's, that's one of those weird things of, um... no. 
Because, yeah, well, the thing is, everyone knew Wendy Padby from being on Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I didn't see this film until relatively recently when it came out on DVD. Mm-hmm. As um, it had been on TV once when I was a kid, and we was a, I was away on holiday, and um, a friend, I pestered a friend, so he got a video it for me, <laughs> and he completely failed to. <laughs> and uh, and what, you did watch it, though. I said, what's it about? He goes, well, they dig up Satan in the field, and then... It's really weird. How? Can't really say. What do you mean? <laughs> but it never came back on TV, and you couldn't get a hold of it on VHS back then. And it wasn't until it came out on DVD in the 90s in um, the wonderful Tygon box set they did that came in the shape of a coffin. Uh, they actually got to see it. And, you know, by that point, I'd watched a lot, a lot of uh, 60s Doctor Who, and when it's got, oh, oh, it's, it's Wendy Padbury. Oh, good. Oh, my God. And she looks even younger than she does in Doctor oh, Who. And then you get that scene, and it was kind tiny. of like... Oh my God, that's horrendous! <laughs> well, the, the thing about that scene for me is the way that Haggard shoots it and paces it, so that your mind goes through all these horrible things that might happen to her, mm-hmm. and then when it does happen, it's far worse than anything you thought of. It's brilliantly paced because you can see her; she's reluctant to play with the boys yeah. and the way it's played is kind of and the age they are she's getting a bit nervous about playing with boys yeah just you know not kids anymore the well, teenagers she's pro- and yeah she's probably played you know known them her whole life it's, it's not like someone who's just sort of just come out of the bushes like oh come on let's go and have a game sort of thing mm. yeah. but she's aware that they're older and becoming yeah. men and yes. she's frightened for like kind of the entirely the wrong reason, exactly. but the right reason. Yeah. But when they all come out of the um, the woods, all with the Hawthorne oh, garlands, God. she looks so terrified. But then um, Linda Hayden's character gives her this like uh, you know beautiful crown. Mm-hmm. It's kind of oh you're gonna be queen of the yeah, May. Yeah, she thinks she uh, has and, that little smile. So yeah. Like, oh, it's like this smile of hope yeah. of kind of oh no it's gonna be okay it's okay. We're just going to play, you know, be a profession. I'm going to be a queen. This will be nice. Yeah. No. <laughs> and, we, but, and we have a moment for, of course, the divine Miss Linda Hayden. Oh, yes. She is beautiful. I, I, I Those very, eyes. I think it's very telling that that both Patrick Weimark and Linda Hayden share top billing on this film. Well, that's it, and and both of them actually aren't in it that much. Oh, but they they the characters yeah, dominate cool. the story. Oh, cool yes, <clears throat> and Linda Hayden in particular, the way oh. she she just conveys this genuine menace and mm. power. There's someone uh, so young. Yeah, I mean, she was only seventeen when she filmed this. Mm. Um, she reminds it's, me it's, of um, Susan. Was it Susan George who was in Reservoir Dogs? Straw Dogs. Straw, Straw Dogs. dogs. Yeah. Straw Reservoir yes, yeah, Dogs. Yeah. yeah, different movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Different dogs. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> she she reminded me a lot of uh, a lot of her. Like very innocent, but she could make her face. She could turn her face to just steely evil in a second. Yes, definitely, why, definitely. I don't understand why they put the black crepe eyebrows on her for the third act. Because she's evil. <laughs> well, they're the devil's eyebrows. Okay. But it's like, that was the eyes assumed, anyway. <laughs> yeah, because it's one of the few flaws I find in this film is that when she starts showing up with the black crepe eyebrows, all I can see is, okay, I see that the makeup department went down to the local party city. 
Mm. <laughs> well, I, I see. I see that actress. What's her name? Cara, the one with the, the Cara like, Devine. Yeah, the one that looks like she's got caterpillars on her forehead. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, between oh, between the see. four of us, it's we should come up. See. We should be able Sorry. to come up with a script for the devil's eyebrows. I, that's all I'm saying. That <laughs> no, sounds like a movie that. right there. Well, well, I always had this idea for something called Hell to Pay. <laughs> I've got a I've got a note in here called I just the, got that. I've got a note in here called the Devil's Merkin from That sounds weird. Well there is Merkin of the Living Dead in Return of the Living Dead. Yes there are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, linear quickly in a dude scene that they um to to make it less, shall we say, prominent, um that they put put a kind of a, a an extra bush on her. Oh um so they couldn't see the lips, basically. Lady, Lady Garden. <laughs> yeah, I got to see, I, I was lucky enough to see that movie on a matinee in the theater, and it was filled <laughs> with parents who brought their little little kids in to see it, and I and I got to sit in the movie and just smile as the Jesus. theater slowly emptied out, like Welcome every five to the minutes. Biology lesson. Every five minutes, it would cross another line, and the parents would go, "Okay, that's enough." And you could see who the braver, the bravest parents were. But by the time, by the time the movie was over, there were like twenty of us. <laughs> what was the What was the rating of the movie? It was rated R. Yeah, but oh, with the kids people, in there. People oh, were, in America. If you're an adult, were, you can go in. Yeah, oh, people were. Yeah. Nobody cared at the theaters. I mean, no. rated R. If your parents showed up with you, you could go into a yeah. rated R movie. They yeah. didn't care. And, Parents no, didn't what? think about it. I, I've I've had several experiences like that where parents <laughs> got their kids into way more than they. It's even better when it happens in the movies because the parents can't just yeah. turn off the TV. They just spent like seventy bucks getting everybody right. in there. So. <laughs> well, I, I I remember I went to see uh, the Witches of Eastwick with my brother, and we, we were quite surprised to see a bunch of kids in there. I, I'm not sure whether people just thought. Oh, it's a witch's movie. It must be, you know, fairy like Disney. Tales. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's got that nice share in it. <laughs> so much childhood trauma in American oh, theaters. Oh. I, I, I remember when I went to, when I saw um, Stir of Echoes for the first time mm. in the in the Ridgewood Fiveplex, which was a movie theater literally next door to where I lived. Mm-hmm. And somebody brought their infant. What? Yeah. I was Damn really scary movie for grown-ups, never mind little kids. Yeah. Is that, I was I'm very Kevin annoyed Baker. that. Yeah. Mm. But, um, yeah, this is, this film is, much like, um, Hello, Mary Prom Night 2 is owned by Lisa Schrake. This film is owned by Linda Hayden and Patrick Weimark, even though, as you pointed out, they don't really Absolutely. Uh, because they're exceptional actors, for one thing. Um, and um, just one of the probably one of the best villains in this dim part of the golden age of British horror. Definitely. But the, she's the such an unusual character. Mm-hmm. Go Chris. Oh, the acting all around in this movie is very yeah. solid. I mean, even with the even with the sort of semi-authentic you know period language and stuff they all handle it really well i there w- there was never a part in this movie where i was like oh, okay these are the 
you know, there's usually a, a group of sort of C-grade actors in, in right. movies like this, and it was uh, solid all around with everybody. They didn't really overplay the um, the language either. Some some movies just it sounds like they just walked off a, a stage somewhere. You know, they yeah they, they, they go full yeah they go the full cod Shakespeare. That's the one. And yeah. and give like the thunder the 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 very hammy Vincent mm. Price in Theatre of Blood kind of delivery as yeah. well of mm. oh pretty sir oh yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But yeah. Country, country folk though so yeah. they yeah, got yeah. some of it but it's you know it it's not yeah. I, I mean, I the, think the dialogue conveys well, very kind of like, you know, low class people who yes. are trying to talk proper. Yeah, and they're <laughs> going to answer themselves. Yeah. I, for me, I've, I did, you know, I, well, I suffered a lawful Jacobean drama when I was in college. <laughs> and uh, this dialogue, it does just sound really just pitch perfect. Yeah. But it sounds kind of like that sort of dialogue you get kind of in, um, in Shakespeare and Jacobean drama, but filtered through how real people would speak it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, there's some lovely lines in it of like mm. at the start where the um where the judge is talking to Anthony Ainley the vicar oh, and he yeah. says yes a boy found an anatomy in a field <laughs> and, that's just, and that's such kind of a, a wonderful spot on period mm. bit of phrasing mm-hmm. what well, one thing that was missing from this movie that I was very surprised about that seems to be a trope of of these satan movies is there wasn't as there was corruption in it. It was the corruption among the kids, sort of. It, it reminded me a lot of, um, I can't remember the title of it, but there was an old Star Trek episode where this guy that looked like uh, the Burger King corrupted a bunch of kids. And But usually in these movies, like the vicar and all the people in charge, you know, the mayor, all those people are usually, and, and in the beginning, you know, when he's like, I, you know, I found the skull in the field and the, the mayor's just sort of like, oh, okay, well, we'll check it out or whatever. I was like, oh, the mayor's in on it. They're always in on it. You know, <laughs> you always find out that the, the people on the upper, you know, that that they're usually these movies will use the whole Satan and evil as sort of showing the corruption in the, the town and stuff. But this yes, just yeah. sort of takes it straight straight up satan is bad and he's got the kids growing skin for him and and the adults are the adults are pretty much straight up on the gate like that's probably the only vicar in in any of these movies that did not sleep with the naked girl that yes tempts him you know and i and i was watching it and i'm like okay who's gonna be the corrupt ringleader of this and it's like oh it's it's actually the kids it's pretty Mm -hmm. straight up the thing that always creeps me out when, when we get those processionals of the, of the cultists are like the two old people at the very yes, that's right. Well, it's got in them. Uh, well, I think three of the versions as I've got it has a commentary track with um, the British comedy team, the uh, League of Gentlemen. And in that Reese Shearsmith jokes in that scene, those two old people, they weren't there on the day. They just showed up on the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there the was guys. also a sort of, there were also sort of two, there was like two sort of Tor Johnson sort of guys. There was the one guy who was just sort of did the grunting and gesturing. And then there was another one who was with the Satan people just sort of in the background in a, in a, a muscle, yeah. Rough mm, tunic. Yeah. But I pictured that old couple as maybe like the old evil witch couple that had lived in the woods all the years and finally like 
you know, yeah. we're like, oh, the kids found Satan's claw. Yeah, <laughs> That's it. yeah they, and they Get came down along to the barbecue. for it. Yeah. Please. Well, I always think kind of there's, there's kind of you know there's scope here for a prequel story, <laughs> and um, I've been watching me a few times. I now sort of believe that the old couple, they were part of the cult when the devil was first around. Uh-huh. The devil who they've dug up in the field, because yeah. it's been there a while. Obviously, we've yeah. still got its eyeballs, so it's kind of it's not that ancient. It's mm. probably a generation ago, two generations, and then they were kind of like, "He's back! The master's Way. back!" But I mean, interestingly though, kind of, I mean, we watched uh, the commentary with Pierce Haggard and we watched makings yeah. of and whatnot, and I've read so much about it, but they never mentioned that old couple at all, and I do wonder. Did they just appear like no, Schmier, Smith yeah, saying that well, their ghosts on the film were just turned <laughs> up? <laughs> oh gosh, there's there's so much little subtleties that make this film work that make it that make this world feel like a lived-in world. Well, the the, the detail, the actual proper. I mean, Therese will tell you, being she's you know qualified historian, but it's kind <laughs> of a um. Just the set design, the clothes, actually. Yeah. I mean, I've got a 4K restoration. You can see, like, some of the woolen jerkins have actually got... The wool's got bobbling on like it's yeah. being made. And the yeah. buttons aren't sewed on exactly. Yeah. And there's so many things that are just period the, spot the tools on. tools they yeah. use and how they use them oh, and definitely. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and uh, one thought I had about this, and I remember this from when I was a little, little kid, and it's, it's something different, like... 1971 you know i mean it was still a long time from the period it was shot in but like even when i was a little kid you know in the in the early 70s and stuff there was more of that old farm equipment just sort Mm. of laying around it might not even have been like from the 1600s but it was maybe from the 1800s but built the same it was the same piece of machinery that they built in the 1600s so you had some of that stuff lying around the English countryside in those days, and you could actually, you know, just and and some of the buildings and stuff were more still looked the way they were and were still there, and you could just well, capture that that well, yeah, I mean, the, authenticity. Well, it appears Haggard when he was scouting locations, mm-hmm. he literally just drove into this valley and saw this old, the, you know, the main farmhouse. Yeah. with the barn and the it old fence perfect. and they really apart from a few props they didn't have to dress it because it still had all the old right. beams the original lead windows oh. uh, apparently now it's it's been bought and re- renovated, renovated but it was just almost like a living museum and it was just so perfect for them you yeah. know but, because it really gives you that detail and and Piers Haggard himself he actually grew up on a yeah. farm in Scotland yeah. and um so he he made sure kind of a lot of the agricultural detail was right because you know as a boy he used to plow the fields with a plow similar to what in the movie because mm. things hadn't changed mm. uh, when even when the 40s when he was growing 50s when he was growing up mm. but he also said what he wanted to bring to this movie was that sense you always had that you're in the middle of nowhere you've got a farmhouse mm. your nearest neighbors are a couple of miles away and when you open the door at night there's light behind you yeah. and then just endless darkness and gloom <laughs> And that's another thing in this movie, the lighting yeah. is the really good. So helps. Yeah, the yeah. Ci- the cinematography is top notch. And you know, it gets that warm 
the 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 warmth of the sunlight and and nature mm. and and stuff it reminds me a lot i grew up in northern new york mm-hmm. uh, on a farm and it reminds me a lot of this similar terrain and you know the the just sort of shrubby hilly areas and stuff like that and uh they they just captured the and 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 hammer used to do this a lot too they would do a, a full period piece with basically they'd find one castle and you know and that would save all their money mm-hmm. and, they, and yeah. you yeah. know you don't see you don't see the t- you know the town square and you don't you, you don't see these big complicated sets but they just can use these li- big areas of nature and little houses and and ruins and capture it all it it just feels it feels natural well Pierce Haggard said in interview the thing he wanted was to get a feeling of authenticity absolutely because he felt if you got that everything else would follow mm-hmm. and as it was I think there's only a couple of actual sets the actual church uh, where the, the vicar has his bunny tied up in the schoolroom they were right. sets but nearly everything else was actually filled on location and yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and the fact he matched the sets to the location so well oh. Because that's often where you can see the join, mm-hmm. whereas in this you don't. I mean, um, the cinematographer was um, a guy called Dick Bush, who we struggle not to laugh at his name. <laughs> um, but he worked for years for the BBC, amateur. they went freelance, and uh, it was him who sort of said to Piers Haggard, no, you don't want to shoot it like this. Mm-hmm. You want to shoot it from like in here, so you get some like a dark foreground. And mm-hmm. uh, Piers Haggard said that he learned a lot from, from that guy. Mm-hmm. And certainly one of the interesting things i noticed about this film having watched it so many times is so many of the shots are done handheld and it's like you're a bystander in the scene mm-hmm. and there's a lot of lot of almost point of view shots where it's like you're looking at the characters you know through the banisters of a staircase or from you know you're in a barn watching your neighbors having a chat mm. and there's tons of really clever shots like that that just makes it so immersive yes and the other thing that I think is incredible, considering movies generally do shoot out of sequence, is that mm-hmm. at the opening of the movie, the landscape's still very wintry. And as mm-hmm. the movie progresses, yeah. you get all the green and the blue mm-hmm. come into it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, so well it done. looks so stunning. And mm-hmm. it gives the film that real kind of, I don't know, that earthy yes. countryside power. Yeah. And it gives you like a real countryside mm-hmm. rather realistic than... realistic pass, yeah. passing of time. Yeah, mm. Mm. yeah the, the, the farms the, the, the farms are becoming fertile again and Satan's mm. growing skin at the same time. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're, they're right. plowing the fields and Satan's farming his skin, you know? And you but, can you imagine that. pitching this movie now? Oh, God, no. Well, what's your movie about? Well, it's about Satan that comes back and mm. he grows his Go skin see. again on the skin of children. What? Well, they, 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 they pitched the witch in the lighthouse, right? So oh, you, would just have to, you would just have to put it more in that, like, sort of. That's true. That's we true. haven't actually seen the lighthouse, but I did remark to you that sort the of, witch is very yeah, similar to yeah, the, the I, vibe to Bloom. And that oh, they yeah. actually got mm. that authenticity. Mm. <laughs> I mean, yes. the main thing that really bugs me, especially being because um, I've. Uh, got a master's in medieval history (laughs) is that people always say oh why do you watch these things they're historical drama because they're shit and they don't get it right (laughs) and oh god if if i roll my eyes anymore they'd fall out of my head honestly (laughs) some of the things 
But this, oh, they totally got it right. The way people looked, the way they talked, the different hierarchy of the society, the the, the tension with the, the religion, totally spot on. And I, I think one of the themes of this film is that we, we start our, 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 for lack of a better term, hero, the judge, mm. doesn't believe. But then at the no. very end, at the very end, when, he, when we're looking at him through the fire, Weimark gives this look like he finally realizes, my gosh, there is a world beyond this one. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the great, I think, closing shots That's in cinema. shot. And it's Weimark's expression. I mean, um, I understand that um, originally Tony Tensor, they wanted to get either, obviously, uh, Christopher Lee or Peter Cushing or maybe Vincent Price to play the judge. And Piers Haggard was kind of, well, no, I want someone who isn't like a horror icon. Mm. And they got Patrick Weimark, who... Near the end, he was like he died not long after filming this, and um, yeah, he went to apparently... Australia, and mm. not that there's anything wrong with Australia. No, 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 no. He wasn't he wasn't bitten or eaten by anything. <laughs> the, the thing is, it's just like he's he's playing against type because, like you know, um, Christopher Lee or Vincent Price, mm. you know, mm. he looks like the corrupt, you know politician in town he's fat he's he's eaten and just sort of scoffing at everything he he seems <laughs> like he would be a foil in the in the he, movie. he usually would one, be in this kind of movie he admits at one point to be perving on the the woman mm. to her, to her nephew that's right that's right you know so so he he seems like he's going to be that stereotypical character at the at the beginning you know and and uh, I, I sort of like that they played against type on it. You know, I, they, they played against a lot of, you know, I mean, really, this only has one kind of gory scene in it, which is kind of cheesy, but at the same time was making my skin crawl watching it when they when they cut the skin off it. That also reminds oh. me of the Star Trek episode with the sort of jellyfish creatures that attached to Spock's back. <laughs> but they, you know that the the scene of them removing the skin was actually really tense and making me very uncomfortable. And I have a strong stomach for gore, but I think they needed Weimark be, instead of Lee or Cushing or Price mm -hmm. or even somebody like uh, uh, Michael Go, mm. because the fact that these people are to most of us alien yes adds to the immersive effect adds to the authenticity that you feel throughout this that's film. that that especially is like a big rule in horror for me like mm -hmm. i like when they like cast unknowns or more obscure actors in horror movies to it it it's more immersive you know you're not taken mm -hmm. out of it by you know, sometimes uh, sometimes they can get away with it. Like, uh, you know, you can throw Nick Cage in color out of space, and it's okay. <laughs> but, but I, I like typically I always like that. Like, or or you have your you know your sort of stock sort of leading men like John Carpenter had or something like that. You know, that that you work with, and and you might have that consistency from movie to movie with you. But like, yeah, I've I've always liked. Um, Skip it, skipping the celebrities 
for yeah, for stuff like th- for stuff like this. I mean, if the if this were a hammier movie, maybe mm-hmm. putting Vincent Price in there would have would have been more appropriate because you were going for a little hamminess. But this was going for pretty close yeah. to the bone, you know, and, Very and a serious so, yeah. tone. Well, one of the reasons I think the found footage genre took off so quickly after Paranormal Activity is because it wasn't um, Cape Beckinsale or... Mm, right, and you couldn't put Cape Beckinsale It was this girl, it. this very attractive girl named Katie Featherstone that we had never mm-hmm. seen before, so we could believe in our headspace. They were real people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you have a name actor, you struggle... Mm. You sort of in your head canon, you're sort right. of trying to have a fun game of making this character the same character as they were in the last movie. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. So kind there, of, um, there must be a real bugbear for the the actual actors themselves that they well, can't go yeah. back and play these. Well, that's roles. why actors are so frightened of being typecast. Exactly. Of, yeah, um, this is true. Yeah. I mean, um, I know um, on the commentary for this, um, uh, the moderator asked uh, Linda mm. Hayden. Uh, were you worried about being typecast because she'd previously just done uh, Taste of Blood of Dracula for Hammer? Yeah. And she said, well, no, because she just did a movie called Baby Love, which is a mm-hmm. disturbing, skeevy, <laughs> I haven't watched skeevy it, yeah. movie I saw years ago. And it's kind of like, she was like, like 15 or something. Your major hit in England, from what I understand. It was, but she played an evil schoolgirl who seduced her husband and essentially destroyed a family. I saw it when I was quite young and it was kind of, I thought it'd be sexy and it was horrible mm. <laughs> and disturbing. disturbing. And then we go like, oh God, oh, what the hell is this? Mm. And she said, well, you know, um, there'd been a lot of nudity and that was quite sexy. And she, that was the role she was worried about being typecast as. Right. And when she read Blood on Satan's Claw and the role for Angel Blake, it was kind of like, oh no, this is, this is, this is something completely different. Mm-hmm. It's a horror movie, but it's not like Taste of Blood of Dracula. It's no. something. It's something else, you know, that no mm-hmm. one's seen before, which is why you know she was so keen to do it, and why a lot of the actors were so on board with it because Absolutely. it was kind of, um, it, it was so novel and so different. Because yeah, you know, it would be a fun work... role to take, I would think. Oh, you know, definitely. And um, well, well I, I saw an interview from 2003, I want to say, with Linda Hayden, who, by the way, still gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did notice that. <laughs> wow, she still looks good. She still looks very good. But um, and she had mentioned she said she actually preferred the loyalty of people who were into genre yeah. because they remember they have a longer memory, so to speak. Yeah, they'll they'll they'll, they'll pull you Definitely. into a convention <laughs> fifty years later, you know, for a mm. for a small part in a movie, you know. Well, this is it. I mean, this movie, it, when it originally went out, they hoped for big things about it. Mm. Everyone was really pleased with what they did. And uh, Tygon put it out in a double bill with uh, another of their movies, Beast in the Cellar, which is a good movie, mm-hmm. but it's a complete mismatch for this mm. one. Yeah. And people people didn't really get it. And mm. It was better received in America, but yeah. not that much. And... Everyone, you know, Piers oh, Haggard said, well, oh, that's a shame, but, you know, you take it on the chin, you move on. Yeah. But then he's starting to get letters yeah. from people going, I saw this movie, oh, that was amazing. And then people are ringing up saying, you know, and they ring up all the cast, you know, can we interview you? And this kind of, you know, over the years, years later, you know, now it's got a, 
it's, oh, you know, it's got a very good him. reputation yeah. now as, as a classic of British cinema. Mm. And all those other movies that won the awards got the critical plaudits back in 1971, <laughs> mostly <laughs> forgotten. <laughs> and that's kind of the wonderful thing about genre movies, I yes. think, that they can... Yes. Mm. Also, unfortunately, something that I think we're, we're losing these days. Yes, I which agree. The way that a film finds the people who love it mm. and it mm. goes through telephone through whispers and grows and grows until it gets the reputation it deserves oh i i think that still happens i think there's still i've i mean i mean i've discovered movies that way you know through especially like years ago in the early days of file sharing of mm. movies i would remember i'd be you know looking through someone's list of things and I would see a movie listed there, you know, and I'd notice, oh, a lot of people have this movie. I've never heard of it, you know, and do a little research on it. And, and nowadays you sort of have, you know, stu stuff will uh, like show up on Redbox or, or in, in the depths of Netflix and will, will develop a reputation. But I don't know. I think we could possibly be there's there like just in my town there's two different there's two little, little groups of you know i mean they're they're all basically working delivering pizza and stuff mm -hmm. but there's little these two little groups of filmmakers who are regularly putting out super super low budget oh. horror movies <laughs> but they're but they're making them and then they go on to redbox and then they get enough to make another one and and one of the places has even bought itself you know rented itself some, a little studio so they have studio space and and stuff like that so i mean it's sort of sort of happening it's the the, the cost of put, putting together a, a mm -hmm. small f movie these days is a lot less than it was right back then true you know? yeah i know i mean what about guilty pleasures on uh, Amazon Prime between the Bad Ben films. <laughs> uh, did I just discover yeah, you, that? You first? found that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I'm writing yeah. that down. Ben. Uh, I mean, it is by, you it's know, just made on a shoe. Ropey string. as hell, but there are some very quite frightening bits in it. And the third one's really funny. And yeah. the third one, because, I mean, basically, this guy, he rented a house, did this found footage haunted house story. No, he's bought it and he yeah. wants to flip it. Well, no, no, the actual director, he bought that house oh, to film the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. And he put it on Amazon Prime. It did well enough, so he made a second one. Yeah. And then he made a third. And the third one has a dedication, you know, oh. for all the fans. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really, it's really funny. I mean, they're very cheesy, but, oh, you yeah. know, it's kind of... It, is that, it has that thing scary. of some, like, really good low-budget movies. They're kind of weird authenticity because they're mm, so yes. cheap mm, you yes. know yes. Um, an energy yeah. and earnestness to it mm. that yeah and they don't they don't have the the music it's like oh this is when you should be scared oh god i love this score oh love yes score. Yeah, yes yeah. yes it, there's this i don't know i'm assuming it was done partially synth but the way it sounds like these because, of course, the first time we hear any music is when we get that big close-up shot of that crow. Mm. And I always, for some reason, associate the, the music in this film with just birds watching. 
Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Apparently that crow was blind. He was a trained crow. and was quite Ooh. old. Really? Yeah. And considering on the commentary, um, Linda Hayden said, I felt sorry for that crow because oh. cause it was blind. It kept falling off its twigs and used to tie it on. <laughs> I know. How oh, no. Sure. Well, it's but, um, the music, the, the guy used um, a very early electronic I think it was a Mellotron. And um, it has oh. all these sliders. Yeah. And... Yes. Uh, and that's how you get those notes as a go, sort of, sort of slide from one note to another. Yeah. So that, well, wow. Well, wow. A Mellotron, for people who don't listening who don't know, is a uh, is a uh, one of my favorite instruments of all time. Ah. It, it's a, it's a it was a keyboard, mm-hmm. but it was basically the the one of the earliest versions of what you would call a sampler, except mm-hmm. they would take each each key on the keyboard, controlled a loop of tape. Of a, of an instrument playing a note uh, actually recorded like if you had cellos you know you would mm-hmm. go with cello and record each note so when you hit the key it would be a natural sound but it would be on tape so the tape would speed up a little so it would have a little bit of a yeah. to with each note it, starting it? up yeah. and it always had this creepy line between artificial and and natural you know analog and digital and mm. sounding natural and sounding altered that always made mellotron sound really extra king crimson used to use mellotrons yes, for great right. great mm. effect mm. and uh like whenever i hear a mellotron in any old david bowie used to use mellotrons to mm. yeah. great effect and uh yeah whenever i hear a mellotron in a movie it may and it's it's funny because the soundtrack made me I have to go do some research on Sam Raimi and his crew and see how many times they watch this movie because there was this there was the one scene where where the one guy's in bed and he's and he's freaking out about his hand and the music starts going bing 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 and I'm like this sounds like Evil Dead and he jumps it is up very, and, yeah, yeah. And, and then he chops his hand off and so, yeah, right after yeah. I thought this is very evil dead like and then he yeah. chops his hand off I'm like I wonder if these guys weren't watching this <laughs> on Saturday morning you know <laughs> horror movie TV and they just loved this movie and decided they wanted to like just drop a little element of it into it whether consciously or unconsciously because it was like as soon as I was thinking evil dead literally 10 seconds later he's chopping his own hand off and i was like hey wait a minute <laughs> and uh, for 1971 it always impressed me the blood mm. in, and that hand chopping looks really yes. real yeah i mean normally yes. in 70s movie there's oh, picky that... british horror they're using that you know that... the old kensington gore where yeah. you get this really sort of bright red <laughs> yeah yeah it's like, like gone of the dead paint. red yeah, yeah it's almost yeah. pink it, mm, just yeah. looks, it doesn't look like real blood. Whereas yeah. this had that proper watery crimson. What was the film we were talking about the other day, Jim? Uh, Satan's Slave? Oh, yes, yes. The um, ah. Norman J. Warren movie. Yes, Norman mm. J. I was trying to remember his name. And like the blood in that is really just ludicrous. Yeah. Well, that is, you know. Down, down to the, you know, the not the joke shop, but the literally down the DIY store <laughs> and, get, <laughs> and get a tin of anything red and throw it around. Yeah. To, um... <laughs> but so the blood in this is very, I mean, I, I don't know, I've got very interesting in stage blood over the years, and it's mm. kind of there's a, there's a point in the set, really, even up to the 80s, where people are still using the very obviously red oh. painty yeah. blood. 
and a lot of the time was it was because it was easier to get the blood past the sensors if it looked like that. If it looked right, didn't look real. Uh, where where is this? Um, they didn't actually have a problem with the hand chopping scene. The only scene they had a problem with where um, the director had to go to the BFCC uh, and speak to Sir John Trevelyan uh, was the rape scene. Yeah. And yeah. even then, they just shortened a few shots, yeah. and um, and that was it really, hmm. uh, because you know, but you know, it's kind of. Apparently, Sir John Trevelyan was very kind of like um, schoolmastery or proper. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He called Piers Haggard in and goes, "Okay, we're, we're going to see chopping of the hand, violence. That's yeah. fine." Yep. <laughs> uh, Linda Hayden, yep. um, disrobing from the vicar, nudity. That's all right yeah. on its own. This rape scene, sex and violence together. No, oh, bit bit of a cool. trouble, old boy. <laughs> but I think probably that's where the cuts actually probably did help. Mm-hmm. Because um, it's, it's, because he cuts away to the reactions. Yeah, right. And that actually makes it more horrible. Anymore in that, really. No, no. It, it, it sort of dwelt on it long enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to be horrifying, but then yeah, you have the reactions. And it's the fact that they're all sort of, well, to use the parlance times, digging it. Yeah. That's so. That's what's disturbing. <laughs> that's, that's what's creepy yeah. about it. And yeah. They're not horrified by it. I mean um. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the the girl who reads the litany out of the book yeah. in that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to to everyone in Britain, she very, was very well known mm. as um, in in a hit sitcom as the wife of this kind of proto Mr. Bean character. Um, yeah. And it, you know, some mothers do have them. Was mm. a massive hit, and it's kind of yeah. it's, it's one of those things where I watch this movie. It's kind of that's Betty from Some Mothers Betty Do Happen. Yeah, I know. Um, but the fact is, I mean, her, her performance is so good. She has this, like, zealotry. Yes, yeah. And this sort of sensuality. She's very good in it, yeah. it's, she's, I mean, apparently it was, both, it was between... She went for the role of Angel Blake. Mm. And uh, it was between the two of them. But she's kind of... Very good performance. Mm, yeah. And actually made transcend being a well-loved sitcom figure. Yeah, you know? I, when I first saw this, I was a bit like, oh, I, can't, I can't get past that. But now, her performance in this movie is is top-notch. You know, it'd be, and you know, I, probably when I was younger, I used to actually like some others do have them. But now I just think it's just... I hate that character. This this yeah. bumbling idiot character. <laughs> why does she? Why does she even marry him? <laughs> so I I've sort of changed quite a lot in my uh, my view of it. So no, she she did a great uh, a great performance. Of course, for me, she's the the murder victim in And Soon the Darkness. Oh, of course, yes, Which, yes. What movie is that? Sorry. Uh, and Soon the Darkness. darkness. The Brian Clemens film, um, Brian Robert Quest film, set in France, with the two psyched girl cyclists. Of course. Yes, 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 Sorry, yeah, yes. yeah. Sorry, just a uh, penny drops. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there we go. We it's been a while since we watched that, but I remember you did show me that because um, that was before prior to some others doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's like 
Yeah. But that's no, one of those... She was really yeah, yeah. good in that movie. I mean, that that's a, a little-known movie, but massively influential. Mm. I'm sure Toby Hooper and John Absolutely. Carpenter saw that movie. Yes. Because there's so many scenes that turn up in Texas Chainsaw yeah. and the first Halloween um, that are almost lifted yes. from that yeah, film. Yeah. Wow, that's definitely that was... made my list now. I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Write them down. Yeah, yeah. That was a movie that was just put together because Brian Clemens did not want to let go of his Avengers staff. That's right, yes. <laughs> it's just, Is that it's right? Like, yeah, yeah. Time where we try to find some extra funding. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed that, yeah. That's yeah. another great little-known movie, and it's kind of it's, been it's quietly crazy. influential. But that one, I think, I mean, when I was growing up, The Wicker Man was an obscure cult movie, and oh. I've, in my lifetime I've seen that become recognised mm. as a, as a as classic of cinema. Mm. And can then probably up ten years behind, the same things happened with Blood and Satan's Claw. Mm. I think, and soon the darkness. That's the next one, f- the film from this period that's going to get rediscovered. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm a fan of Robert Quest, I am. So I'm definitely pulling for that. <laughs> well, I think it's what I mean. I, I'm from you know with his work from the Fives movies, and oh, it's such a yeah. different, such yeah. a different <laughs> film. You wouldn't believe it's the same director. Yeah. I like that. So I, I wonder, can I ask a, a, a question about the the actual rape scene? Um, yeah. I never put together that the guy who actually carries out the rape is meant to be her brother, because it's a different actor. And oh, I, I didn't pick that up either. Yeah, it, it's a completely different actor. Well, we we. I've always seen it as someone different, and then we, was, yeah, we were watching the commentary with mm, the director, that's uh, the and it was mentioned time. in that, and we were like, what, is that meant what? to be a brother? And then we were sort of looking at pictures going, well, is it? And yeah. like, God, that's even creepier no, and weirder. But... Because I know the the um, the first actor who was her brother from a, um, I don't want to call it a sitcom, but a, a TV show called Cat Weasel. Yes, yeah, the Richard Carpenter show. Yeah. Yeah, mm. uh, yeah. No, it's a different actor, and I I have never put that together until now. It's like, what? Hang on, really? I I saw an interview with the director from. I I'm not sure where it was from. It could have been anywhere from the '90s to the 2000s. He was older, and they had him. They were mm. interviewing him down in the ruins where they shot that scene, yes. and he was talking about it. And he said, "Well, during the time period." You know, people were pushing the, you know, trying to push things. So we decided that, you know, that this was going to be the scene in the movie where we'd, we'd really push, push it a little mm-hmm. further than we'd think. Yeah. You know, you should push it. And he was saying, in in retrospect, I if I filmed it today, I would film it completely differently. I would not <laughs> have have done that. Which but to be I fair, think it, he, he has that same injury in his head. So, yeah. but I didn't, mm. uh, but. Even so, I thought, you know, I didn't, I've never put that together. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, that was a real revelation for us. <laughs> it's like, what? Incest? What incest? Well, apparently in the original script, it all kind of happened off screen. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it was Piers yeah. Haggard who kind of, he had this vision for this sequence and mm. how it should play out. And mm. um, he just, all the actors, you, you know, were on board to do it. Yeah. Apparently, apparently, Randy Padbury was uh, skipping and dancing around, going, "I'm going to be killed and raped." Yay! <laughs> because she wanted to, uh, to you know, she just oh. finished Doctor Who six months earlier, yeah, and she wanted to get rid of that yeah, kind yeah. of uh, that image. Of, uh... 
<laughs> yeah. But it's one of the, in these early 70s movies, you often get these sort of very poor taste rape scenes that are thrown in oh. for titillation. You can uh, tell the difference. You know? And in oh, this yes. scene, it is, it's genuinely horrible. It is. She actually looks horrified. And the performances are so good. And yeah. it's, just, it's the reactions of everyone that's really... <laughs> Sorry, that's pardon? made to be scared. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the thing mm-hmm. is what what it, it definitely that scene does not elicit titillation when you no, watch it's it. Not, it definitely, it's not. It's if, if, if it does, there's something wrong. You know, there's yeah. definitely. Oh, something, look, we've, I'm sure we've there are seen. People... We've seen like what was that garbage we watched for? It's called Wrong Turn. Wrong Turn or something. Oh and... yes, yeah, I've seen Wrong mm-hmm. Turn. Oh, I actually said on Twitter, I was like, I, I, hopefully the people who are responsible for this shit are dead. <laughs> no, I think they're, they're on not. Long term six now. Right. Or yeah. I think I saw yeah. they be, a long term. They should be on a list somewhere because mm. that was fucking awful. It yeah, was, for listeners like haven't the, seen like it, they, two girls get raped for about an hour, then yeah. join a death cult uh, and get raped again. <laughs> Yeah, they, it's it's. Uh, I watched that and I'm like, these people the think they're making a throwback seen. to like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but they basically they understand some of the creepy stuff mm-hmm. from. I think there's a scene in Wrong Turn where one of the character where they stumble into their house, and they're underneath the hiding under the table while the guys are cooking up their friends, and uh, that's that's kind of creepy, you know. It's kind of the same sort of Leatherface. Sort of thing. Oh no, no, it, this is this is a different wrong turn. Oh, oh no, I oh. Think yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. different movie. Sorry. This is one that's on um on one of the. It's oh. on the video. Well, it's on the video nasties list, and it's from about 1969, 1970. Oh. It's two oh. girl girl hikers, and mm. they get waylaid by a van load of hippies, who mm. then rape them literally for about an hour. Mm. And then they wander off, and then they run into this apocalypse cult by yeah, like a Charles Manson type yeah. and then get raped again for another half an hour it's, and it's kind of this weird it's the sleaziest nastiest thing I've ever yeah. seen it's like oh, really yeah, bad I literally said I um, really hope these people are just oh. I mean, I mean, I mean the, the, the thing in 72 we have this casual rape but even that took it, it was that like was, too much it yeah. was like uh, I think we actually did we actually turn it off I think we we fast forwarded fast and, yeah, and kind of literally is kind of yep 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 yeah. still raping no. carry on. <laughs> oh. Yeah, don't don't. I think it's got a, a few different titles. Yeah, That's it's one of those. Problem. It's super low budget. Oh, hopefully, so. just to be not to be caught for being absolute bollocks. But I mean, it was made Jesus. by pornographers, I, and um, a few from are in prison. Oh, I understand. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I hope they're getting buggered daily in the shells. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, totally yeah. getting off topic. <laughs> oh yeah, but it's kind of like even in, like Ham. I think it's um, Evil of Frankenstein. There's a mm. sort of pseudo rape scene with the Victorian Carlson was thrown into titillate, mm. and that that's kind of the wrong. Well, rape's wrong, but you know what I mean. But in cinematic, oh, no, I know what you see, mean, yeah. in this period, there was a kind of, and it's a weird what? thing of kind of almost rape as a word. Well, Snows would be ravished. It, yeah. it wasn't, yeah. It, um, I mean, like some consensual. It wasn't taken. It wasn't taken as seriously in the movies or in society no. in those. No. Uh, no. Uh, no. The movie we were talking about earlier, Pets, that we watched a, a couple months ago. Um, 
uh, that that probably that still hasn't been released yet as a show, but that had a scene that had a scene in it where um, you know one one girl looks at another girl's purse and sees a gun and goes, "Oh, why do you have a gun?" And she's just like, "I don't want it," you know. Oh, I don't want to get raped, you know. And the other girl's like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that seems like it makes sense." And and and, and that it was just totally of that era, you know, where it was. Um, where they were just chatting about it like that, you know. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, you know, this is a case some guy tries to rape me. Oh, yeah, that's what guys do. <laughs> mm. That yeah. What yeah. I find interesting about getting getting back onto this film. Yeah, sorry. It's a great, great film. I think we all agree it's a great, great film. Absolutely. Yeah, mm. I actually prefer this to Witchfinder General. Mm. Which one here is good, but this is so much more interesting. I do. I absolutely mm. do. And as much as I love Vincent Price, mm. uh, I prefer this one. Well, it's still got as, and I love Michael Reeves. I I love mm. uh, Michael Reeves's output, his all too brief output. Mm. Um, but there is still a, a sort of courtliness to Witchfinder General, a sort of staginess. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah. This yeah. film does not have. No. And of course, there's also the fact that, uh, of course, this is the, the which Finder General is also the source of my favorite Vincent Price story. Um, which is Price came you know up with don't you? Yeah. <laughs> started hamming it up, and Reeves threw a fit. Yes. <laughs> and Price I did said, know this. Oh, man, I've made over a um, hundred horror films. What have you done? And he said, three good ones. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Price stopped, uh, laughed, yeah. and never was a problem. No, mm. get back in your box, mister. Mm, I know. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that, but I could tell you, you you'd heard that story yeah, before, yeah. hadn't you? Yeah. But you can see, Price informed is so good mm. because he could be nuanced. Yeah. And a lot of the time, you know, he'd once onto these films, and he knew what he knew what they wanted. Yeah. And just camped it up. Mm. And uh, I think he, he really, you know, he said later he really respected Michael Reeves for yeah, saying, "No, no, what. we're doing a serious film." Oh. And, you oh, sorry, know, I didn't realize. <laughs> kind of pretty much giving him a license to act properly, yeah. as it were. Be an actor. Uh, yeah. Um, hmm. I, I still remember an interview with, oh, oh, um, Jose Ferrer that I read when I was much younger, who said the best Shakespeare he, play he ever saw was watching Vincent Price in Richard III. I don't think I've seen that. Uh, now that that would have been good. I mean, yeah, I've seen Vincent Price doing um, deliberately hammy Shakespeare in Theatre yeah. of Blood, oh, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I'd love to see him play it straight, though. Uh, it would be, yeah. Mm. In my opinion, Theatre of Blood is the true sequel to Doctor Fives. Mm. Not oh, that love... game that got spat out. <laughs> okay, we well, you believe it? Here we go. That. That's who it was, by the way. That's who the other third, the other third of. Oh yeah. Virginia, Virginia is. Volnavia. Virginia Knob, uh, Carolyn Monroe, and uh, Marissa Mel. It wasn't easy getting that DNA. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who has a cat in Volnavia. Carolyn Monroe was very gracious about it. 
<laughs> but the other two wasn't easy. Not so easy. Uh, yeah. I, I understand that. What, what was her name again? Volnavia. Volnavia. Dr. Fibes' assistant. Ah, oh, um, yeah. right. Played mm. by a woman who goes, who who left the business because she married an actual lord. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> she became the Lady White. <laughs> That's so appropriate. Yes, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, this is the thing. Like, 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 same thing with like Linda. We're talking about Virginia North right now. Linda Hayden is another one where you have these actresses in the 60s and 70s who do only a couple of films, mm. and then that's enough. Mm. And they kind of walk away. Now, Linda Hayden, though, could have been such a big star. Oh, yeah. God. I mean, when I watch Blood on Satan's Claw, mm. it's kind of, there is obviously that scene with mm, Auntie yeah. Ainley, the vicar, mm. where she disrobes. But the fact is, her performance actually kind of drains the sexiness out of it. It is. Yes. It, it, because there's so much menace. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, it is. Mm. And also, I mean, credit to Anthony Ainley, his performance yeah. is really good. You can see the kind of, the temptation, you can see what's going through his mind on his face. Yeah. And it's kind of like, he's like, no, 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 no. And, um, Want to touch that's the one of the, but no. Yeah. Mm. But it's the fact that she's so threatening yeah. It's like proper, it's real malevolence. Yeah, she's, kind of, she's really got the pair in that scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It's mm. astonishing, really. Yeah. Completely astonishing. Oh, for someone so young. Mm. The fact that she is so totally in control throughout mm-hmm. this film until the very end. Mm. Yeah. Uh, there is a, a the, the scene where uh, she gets her father to accuse. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. And she turns around to mm. her at her father's breast. She doesn't yeah. big smile. It's just... That raise of the eyebrow. Yeah, yeah I, I got it. raise just a little bit, and you mm. know she's like... Yeah, ah, 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 ah. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like one of my favorite reaction shots in the whole film. The other, the other one, for some reason, is uh, Peter Ustinov's daughter. Yes, Tamara Yusinov. Oh, yeah, well, I yeah. did wonder if that was a relative. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Is that... yeah, yeah, yeah. When she's being led down uh, out of the, the attic room and she's got this kind of like... Mm. I didn't know that was his daughter. Yeah. Sorry, didn't yeah. mean to interrupt. The actual smile she gives her fiancé, mm. just like the kind of wistful look on her face as she's being let out. Mm. Mm. Like, Her demeanor is totally changed. Never seen. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, is that kind of a genuine madness and a knowingness to it? Mm-hmm. Of that's kind of you can take me away, but something started you can't stop. Yeah. Right. And then you get that brilliant cut away where you, you see a hand is the claw, yeah. and it just it just clicks on the banister, <laughs> which is a, a brilliant bit of sound yeah, design. Right. Um. I know the League of Gentlemen in particular are obsessed with that to three clicks. <laughs> of, um, mm. Because the sound of it is just spot on to sell the effect of the claw. Yeah. Mm. And it's just... Um, it's one of, the, one of the many things in this movie where they actually underplay things. Yes. Right. And that's... A lot of it like, gets its strength. It's because it's kind of... Yeah. It, it shows you... It does show, not tell, like a yeah. good movie should. It doesn't throw it in your face. But it leaves you to put so much together. 
Mm. I mean, I'm watching this movie several times. I mean, I think it was about the third or fourth time I was watching it in the rape scene, in the prologue to it, when they go into the ruins, mm-hmm. the camera pans around and you've got Linda Hayden front and center. But in the background, leaning against the wall on his one good leg yep. is the it, devil. It's the, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Um, yeah, which I didn't notice at the first uh, viewing that we had. Yeah, and there's a couple of others where he's just, he's just lurking in the background and the camera yeah, doesn't go, look, there's the it. devil. Yeah. He's just there. Yeah. And that's so, well, such a good direction. Today by somebody like Eli fucking Raw. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> oh, totally agree. That guy needs to go back to asking people, do you want... Oh, he can't do that anymore. Sorry. (laughs) Do you want fries with that? (laughs) Yeah, no, he should stick to acting. And once I... Do you know when he started out? Chris, I just learned this recently. He was David Lynch's webmaster. Oh, Oh my God. Don't get me started on David Lynch. I love David Lynch. <laughs> See, I'm sorry. But you That's know, okay. No, hey, at least I can respect. Mm-hmm. Eli mm-hmm. Roth is just a jerk. He's a mm-hmm. yeah. David mm-hmm. Lee. Uh, Dave, I, I almost said David, David Lee Roth. Roth. <laughs> <laughs> I almost put their names together. Yeah. David Lynch where, at least where has is he, his, now? he has his own thing. He's got sort of his own thing. Eli Roth is sort of like. Like the thing I hate about Eli Roth, another tangent. Sorry, but yeah, I, I guess we're all on the same page here, so I right. yes. feel comfortable saying this is Eli Roth pictures himself. I think as this, you know, somebody who's like this sort of sort of like Quentin Tarantino. I'm a I'm a oh, big no. genre fan. I love the, the genres. Yeah, I understand them. And I want to do my versions of them and stuff like that, which is all great. But then every time he does them, I sit there going like, I don't think this guy really understands what made like he like right. that when he made a the, the his own Cannibal Holocaust movie. Oh, and I was hell like, is- okay, I'm very interested to see this is like so fertile for any right. kind of like exploitation and revision yeah there's there's just it's 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 almost just like a soft pitch to knock out of the park and Mm -hmm. i remember watching it and i'm like i'm three quarters of this way through this movie and it still sucks yeah what (laughs) what is going on how do you screw this up not a good sign no Mm. no, you like fucking roth thinks (laughs) tarantino (laughs) and robert is that really his middle name to him he's not I'm not giving him the, 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 uh, when I address him. It's Eli, Eli fucking Roth. I've told him this to his face. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, but I mean, he thinks he's Quentin Tarantino. He thinks he's Robert Rodriguez, but he's actually like the little brother tailing around, going, "I can do this too." Mm. Yeah. Look, yeah. guys. Look, guys. She's pooping. Ha! Huh? Yeah. Nobody's done that before. Pooping. Mm. Well, who- who was the idiot who redid um, the Halloween? Um, oh, Rob Zombie. Oh, oh Rob Zombie, yeah. Fuck Rob off. Zombie can be a good director, but uh, sometimes I think that he plays to what he thinks people want to see. Exactly. Mm. Oh, I, I, it's mostly. I, <laughs> he's another one, like, 
I remember seeing House of a Thousand Corpses mm-hmm. and going, all right, this guy sort of gets driving right. movies. There's some moments in this that are really, there was a scene where the sheriff comes and there's a slow motion scene of the family ambushing the sheriff that was really nice. But then every, like, five, ten minutes, there would be a shot of, like, snakes crawling over blood with <laughs> yeah. the blue gel mm-hmm. over it. And then guitar music going, you know, a white zombie music going. And it's like, and and it almost became like a living tattoo. You know, yeah. the movie was kind of like a version of a tattoo. And he's, yeah. he kind of yeah. 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 fixates on the surface, the surface oh. elements of what he thinks are look and yeah, are cool about see. it yeah but like but i really enjoyed the sequel to house of a thousand corpses yeah. i haven't seen the third one yet and I i've heard it was really bad yeah bad. i've heard it's very bad and, and uh, the sequel's well, good the, the, but the third Lord one i've stayed away from yeah. mm. i like lords of salem so that was, i thought it was, yeah, i haven't seen that that was that was more restrained halloween 2 though oh Oh, oh, I haven't seen Halloween too yet. Yeah, I've heard mixed. I've heard mi- like God. Halloween. His first Halloween, I thought Not was too bad. It was an interesting, yeah. different take of it. And yeah. the mm. kid that played Michael Myers actually reminded mm. me of mm. somebody I grew up with who was very poor, and his family mm. was very much like that. And I was like, okay, this yeah. is an interesting take on it. But you know, at the same time, who wants to make Michael Myers a real character that much? You know, yeah. not me. Yeah, I'm the boogeyman. Cool. But that's, but Chris, that is the problem with a lot of cinema these days. Yeah, we're going to make them have a backstory, don't we? Everybody has to know everything about everybody in every film. Fucking I. That's 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 a that's a narrative thing these days. You know, it's it's, uh, and that's why it's you know, I mean, people are used to now having prequels and stuff to flesh in every character, and it's like. It drives me nuts sometimes because people are like, I want to know more about that character. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> I want yeah. to go along like life and, you know, yeah. sort of, you can pick up little things about the character like you would in life as somebody who comes into, into the story. But like knowing everything that happens just starts becoming sort of like irrelevant. ADD, yeah. you know, more yeah. than it, it, it starts or... losing the forest for the trees, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, this is this is why I mean this movie wouldn't get made today. Mm-hmm. It doesn't oh, no, explain no, no. enough. Mm-hmm. No, not by I mean far. sometimes it, it would maybe a, as an art house like The Witch. The Witch d- mm. did similar oh. things where yeah. it just yeah. sort of yeah. let it. Exactly what would happen if this was made today? Yeah. We would mm. follow yeah. the judge to London, and the yeah. judge would research, and you'd mm. probably meet somebody famous mm. while he's there. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and he would learn the demon has a name. Mm. The demon mm. comes out every 20 years or so. <laughs> I, no, I think you're yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. That's it, a good point. It can be reached on the that, mobile that, number, that, this. Yes, exactly. It would definitely be, it would be the judge's story and not this mm. sort of kind of window into a very, very corrupt place. I think what what's interesting is something I found about Blood and Satan's Claws when I was kind of the third or fourth time we watched it. Mm-hmm. I was considering the year it came out in. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh my god, this is kind of. I think this is sort of riffing on contemporary fears because there's a kind of in the early seventies there's um 
a clutch of little Satan movies um, where essentially you have hippies out in the wilderness coming into town to murder everybody. Yes. And, you know, it's a whole Manson family thing. And uh, it was only recently I was reading uh, about the writer and that was one of his influences. He had two big influences. Mm. And one was the Manson family killings and the other was... um, a 1969 British murder case which shocked the nation. Uh, A young girl uh, who was early teens called Mary Bell, Mm. um, her mother was a prostitute. She had been abused horribly all her life. Mm -hmm. She killed two kids with with incredible sadism. Mm -hmm. And uh, even when I was growing up in the 70s, uh, that murder cast a big shadow. Yeah. Uh, over the country because it was a shocking shocking murder you know as kids it was not only kids killing kids but yeah. it was kids doing so with sadism yeah and um i mean when i was i knew about mary bell because when um i knew about it anyway but she actually escaped from prison and uh, was actually on on the loose near where i lived <laughs> uh, uh, and she was apprehended you know she was like apprehended but you know it's kind of um, like how i felt in 77 when uh, you know, the son of Sam was around. Of course, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Go mm. on. But, uh, and, and I think, but I'll say it's quite, it taps into that, that kind of idea of youth gone wild, shall mm-hmm. we say, of, um, yes. Uh, yeah. What I find interesting is you have that kind of, whereas often you get people come to a small town and everyone's in on it. Mm. Right. Here is, it's yeah. a more, it's a generational conflict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was something the writer, he said it was very, he consciously was, you know, riffing on and that kind of idea, and his his original ending was far more violent. Mm-hmm. Um, so originally it was Victorian times. The judge came back on a steam right. train with a platoon of military, yeah. and they went to the abandoned chapel and they waited, and then literally just shot them all. Mm-hmm. When that was the original ending, and as it was, when it got so transposed to sixteenth century. Mm-hmm. And also budget concerns. You could yeah. have a bunch of military yeah. guys. Uh, but he, he always said that he thought Piers Haggard had still kind of got that political point in it. Mm, yeah. Because um, you have the judge when he's caught, you know, uh, when Simon Ward goes to see him. And, mm. you know, uh, he, he says, you know, beware. I will use methods undreamed of. <laughs> yeah. But you and, and, and that, those methods turn out to be that guy who was in um, The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, the Tor Johnson lookalike. Because uh, <laughs> that's his. That was his thing. He was in because he was also in Night Creatures, I think. I think so. Yeah, yeah. He's oh, it. Yeah, he's yeah. it. I mean, he always plays mute blokes, and he's one <laughs> yeah. line. He's supposed to go. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And a bunch of dogs and a big honking sword. Yeah. That's that. Mm. If I was that guy, like physically that guy, that would be perfect you don't have to learn any lines ever yeah. your type that's when typecasting works to your advantage you know, you, know it's, your line, it's, you just yeah. have to do your thing just come in and grunt yes. thrust the sword forward <laughs> sometimes you got to thrust it twice you know and it gets complicated <laughs> that it and like for a 60s movie it's or you know that six the youth rebellion era movie it that 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 was why it maybe seemed a little weird that there wasn't like more corruption in the town. You know, usually this one, this one 
you know, generally ends with a affirmation of the of the status quo at, at the time. You know, the uh, it it pretty much. You know, the the Good the church. The, the, the church and society wins out over it. The devil's a real thing that actually corrupts people, and and it's all and it all sort of usually it's like a little more messy with with mm. these things. Usually, usually the townspeople are uh, uh, usually everybody's corrupt in in that time. You know, from like 1971 to 1977, yeah. everything was just sort of corruption and cynicism. It was a glorious. <laughs> age I will of say, filming. Though, I think, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something here that, that that's kind of weird, but I think this is more true. To it, it, this looks more like something that is a reaction to the transgressive horror that was coming out of America, than some of the stuff that actually did come out mm. as a reaction, like the Norman J. Warrens and the Peter Walkers mm. of the world. Well, I, I always think because at the end scene where the judge where they storm the ruined mm. church, mm. Um, Piers Haggard he decided to go for slow mo yeah. because he thought that would look good. But when I first watched it, when it started to get to slow mo, the thing it reminded me of was the close of Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where you you have the shooting of Ben, mm. and you get these horrific grainy black and white stills mm. of the numb yeah, nut like sheriff dragging the body out yeah uh, and that that kind of struck that tone and and when you get that final final brilliant shot of Weimark hoisting the devil mm. up yeah. and burning him on the fire and you get that face of the flames you almost have that suggestion that idea and the writer said he was very pleased with it because he, he felt he got the idea of kind of was the cure as bad as the disease? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's almost that implication, possibly, of kind of has the devil jumped? Yes. Into the judge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it? Is it? Is possibly, this really yeah. the end? Mm. Or, or is the actual? Because there's that gloating look on his face, and it kind of mm -hmm. it echoes the, all the gloating in the rape scene of Kathy Vespers. Yeah. 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 Um, it's one. I think it's a. Some people over the years, I mean, other the director said he sort of originally felt the ending was maybe a bit of a damp squib, <laughs> and because originally there was a bigger scripted ending with everyone getting shot, yeah. sort yeah. of Peckinpah style. <laughs> but um, the Wild West. <laughs> yeah. But you know, um, I think the ending they've actually got is actually incredibly powerful, and the use of slow mo, I think, really oh, does. Yeah. It gives it a genuine sort of subversiveness that, say, Night of the Living Dead had. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's an abruptness to it too. That's almost mm. anticlimactic at first, but then it's that it's what I I love endings like that that are a little like difficult yeah. or unanticipated, yeah. like No Country for Old Men or something like that, where it yeah. sort of catches you, it yeah. catches you by surprise and it's over and you're like, oh, that's the end. It's what? you know expect and then, but then you start thinking about it and with a movie like this it has it has enough stuff in it you know it starts sticking with you and and making more sense as it goes on so like when i first saw the ending of it i was like oh it kind of looks like they ran out of money but <laughs> a, a little bit but then when i started thinking about it i was like no that was actually kind of kind of perfect and i did not make mm -hmm. the connection between night of the living dead and this but boy it is it, it is a lot like that 
Well, uh, both the director and writer said they were quite proud because they delivered like a downbeat ending, which at the time they were making it, you know, was kind of quite unheard of. Normally, yeah, especially in a horror movie, it's kind of bad gangs defeated, house burns down, the end. You know, done. (laughs) Whereas this, you had kind of something bleak and and sort of puzzling. And then later in the 70s, we got used to that sort of nihilism and and downbeat endings. But this is kind of very much a forerunner to it, actually. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that that nihilism really set into like 1973, 74. Mm -hmm. Didn't peak to like 75, 76. And then Star Wars... (laughs) <laughs> put it out of style again yeah, yeah, the last yeah. great like nihilist 70s movie I remember seeing like remember coming out and that like, was uh, and, it, and it wasn't even as nihilistic as it could have been was uh, the the um, China Syndrome oh, of yeah. course yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Seen that in the, you know the theater and at the end Jack Lemmon's shot and he's laying on the you know floor <laughs> and he's like I feel the, I can feel it vibrating God, I haven't seen that movie for yeah, a long time. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like my peak of of that kind of 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 like peak seventies message nihilism movie was always Silent Running. I always figured oh, that. Oh God, where, yes. You no, know, that was oh. where it hit a big big budget, big actor, yeah. environmental message, and yeah. just like downer Joan, ending. So all Joan Baez. All yeah. the elements and Joan Baez. That's right. Oh. Yeah, everything. Oh. It was just the peak of that, yeah. <laughs> still, so, a, still, still a film that makes grown men cry at the um, end. The poor robots on the road. Oh, <laughs> they've got the manage if they I, break I, down. I, I, felt, I felt so sorry for them. <laughs> yeah. So, Chris. Yes. Would you recommend to somebody who has not seen it, as if we don't know what the answer to this is, what yes. on Satan's yes. claw? So, yes, oh, I definitely, I definitely would. I've already told a couple people about this movie, and it was, it's on YouTube. So I was like sending links to people that I know would would like this movie that probably are like, yeah, yeah, I've already seen that. Yeah, where, where the hell have you been? But yeah, I definitely, I definitely would. This goes on my short list of of favorite, you know, uh, of uh, supernatural Satan movies. And you know, it was right up, right. To the other things that Tygen was doing, I always like to refer to Tygen as kind of like the mentally challenged younger brother of Hammer, <laughs> <laughs> the bastard cousin. Yeah, Big yeah, the one that keeps locked in the cellar. <laughs> How appropriate! Yeah. When they're high, when when they got they hit their highs, it was yep. very very hot. Mm. But most of the time, it was just goofy shit. Yeah, I, I think I might have an elevated uh, opinion of them because this is the only one of their movies I've seen. Okay, but... I'm going to make a note that somewhere down the line, <laughs> I'm going to force you to watch The Blood Beast Terror. Okay. Ooh. Oh, I love The Blood Beast Terror. Have we watched that? But it's goofy, you got to admit, yep. Jim. Oh, oh. That is a stupid, goofy movie. Oh, look. Uh, Peter Cushing. Yeah. And a giant blood drinking moth. Oh, 
We haven't done a Moth movie yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm, he's looking at me going, yes, we have watched this. And I, I'm shocking with titles. Mm. It was like, the victim, wasn't it, who played the... Yes, yeah, yeah. She's uh, Benedict Cumberbund's... Um, Cucumber Patch, oh, his mother. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. In many ways, it's a dreadful film, but it's a brilliant film. Oh, anything with Peter Cushing in it is. There's a brilliant bit in the middle oh, where they almost have brilliant. like a little send-up of Hammer movies. Yeah, yeah. And you have the great Roy Hood as a, as a comedy, uh, probably the first actually comedy morgue mm. assistant. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ooh. I think I think he he is the uh, probably the, his performance is the origin mm. of all the uh, coroners and um, yeah. I want and morticians and morgue assistants who have a black sense of humor. Yeah. We've yeah. seen ever since. So here you were. I want that on my resume. It like, says here you were a comedy morgue assistant for four five years. Absolutely, I would do that. It's oh, like the, the, that, that twilight years of the golden age of British horror from like about 1967 to about 1976. That last 10 years. Yeah. Some really weird stuff came out mm. <laughs> uh, you know because i'm now thinking about the creeping flesh oh i love the creeping flesh which is, mm. which is good is that another one we've got to watch my love yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's one i haven't Lee. seen i actually oh, i remember really i remember no, I once i found the videotape of it at a garage sale and i was very excited because I'd never seen it, and I'd heard it was pretty good. And all I remembered was hearing about, like, reading about it, and uh, it was basically, like, I think it was water. If, if you touched the bone to water or something, it would start growing back or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. God. And so we put the we, we put the videotape in, and it wouldn't play, and the videotape was so degraded in it that it had actually... It, it, we thought it was really funny because it was yeah. like the creeping flesh, and it actually yeah. just, like, degraded Absolutely. and rotted inside of the the, the <laughs> shell so i i've never gotten to see it oh, it's worth seeing because sp slight spoiler the skeleton effectively is satan oh really <laughs> yeah <laughs> it doesn't just grow flesh and come back to life it's actually the coming of like Oh, not Satan, but himself. almost like almost like a Cthulhu mythos version of wow. Satan. Well, that is his ancient I was... evil god, and it, it sows madness and despair. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was told to watch it as a as a double feature with John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. That, that... No, that'd go well actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Love that. That's a perfect double bill. Mm. I, I first um, saw Creeping Flesh. I, I went to visit my friend Prudence in uh, Maryland. And she, I was down in her basement. They, they put me up in her basement. And she said, here's a bunch of videotapes. Watch what you'd like. <laughs> and I watched The Creeping Flesh followed by Rock and Rule. That's funny. <laughs> I was just reading about Rock and Rule the other day. Well, I had to, I had to bring up, because I, I, I posted the, the mock Yes, that's where I was reading about it. Okay, that makes sense then. I, I, yes, <laughs> that's right. I posted the mock musical number because it is so sublimely wonderful. Yes, it is. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yes. <laughs> so, but but yes, try try that as a uh, as a double feature, Jim. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> our, enti our entire marriage is 
Have I seen that? Yes. <laughs> Have I seen that? No. Oh, no. Let's watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I had the girl for me when one night I said to her earlier on, when we were still friends, do you want to watch Extro 2? And Teresa said, yeah, all right. Rather than the same response of, fuck off, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're totally perfect for each other. We really are. Satanic rights of Dracula. That's our, that's our romantic feature. That was our first date. <laughs> yeah. Our first date was in a cemetery. Yeah. We went to a local cemetery to see mm. the brother of um, Charles Dickens, Fred Dickens. Yep. And then we watched Satanic Rites of Dracula. Absolutely. <laughs> we knew we were right for each other then. Oh, oh. true love can have oh. And Teresa, I want to thank you for coming into Jim's life. I've been a, a friend of his for a long time. Have you? Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Uh, and I'm glad that you make him so happy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Nice? Now, tell, tell the people at home. Mm-hmm. Before I allow you to 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 go off, because it must be very late over there. That's okay. But um, we're not owls anyway. Um, tell people where they can find you and what goodies they can. Oh, find. Has he got some goodies? Listen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the main hub for everything I do mm-hmm. is uh, hypnagoria.com where you can find all various articles on the weird and the wonderful and our two podcasts, uh, the Hypnagoria podcast mm-hmm. and the one I do with Teresa, Commentary Club. Uh, yeah. um, I and from will, by the time you hear this, there'll be a third oh. podcast from the Library of Dreams, which is me reading classic weird fiction. Yes, he's very good. Listen to it, everybody. <laughs> Ooh, I like that one. No. Now, what what is what kind of weird fiction are we talking about? Um, well, it's at the time we're recording, it's just about ready to go to uh, the feeds, and I'm opening up with a selection of stories from firstly, uh, the Red Room, H.G. Wells, Rats, M.R. James, mm. Seaton's Ant by Walter Dillon Mayer, From Beyond by H.P. Lovecraft, Saki, The Open Window, and Dreamland by Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, what a what a what a lineup, folks! Mm. Oh. And, and uh, I know I own... much more good stuff planned. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will. I will put something together for that for you. Oh yes, I'd love to have a reading from you on this show. That'd be oh, fantastic. Yes. Mm. yes. Uh, it's, it's, I have. I published a lot of weird fiction in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> on on our, uh, our uh, the other horror podcast, I'm on the Vault of Horror. Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. Our first Halloween episode, we all did uh, readings of short stories with sound effects, and uh, the first one I did was uh, The Open Window by Saki. Oh, one of my such favorite good short story. stories of all time. Mm. Yeah, I, that that was one of the. I was I was one of those kids that le- my grandparents taught me to learn before I or to read before I actually got to school. So I would go to school, and all the books that you would have to be assigned to read in the further years would still be sort of sitting on the shelves waiting for you but i would i would sneak them out and read them ahead of time (laughs) and i remember like i I was like that when i was a kid first or second grade getting a a book full of short stories and the first one was the open window and that was i think one of the first you know pieces of fiction that really just like got me got me into reading constantly (laughs) constantly constantly 
but I, I still remember getting to the end of it and going like, oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> use a master awesome. twist ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably invented the what we now think of as a Twilight Zone twist, really. Yeah, that kind yeah. of, you get the end of the story, yes. it completely spins you around. Mm, yes, you didn't see it coming. I respect that. Thank Absolutely. you again for gracing the Akadekagonagon. Uh, our pleasure. Yeah, We've absolutely. Had... We have had a fantastic time. Thank you <laughs> yeah, very sorry, much. Very honoured to be here. Well, you're oh. welcome coming again. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Because uh, there, there's a wide, wide world of British genre cinema out there. Mm. And um, We've had a nice great... to have authentic British people on the show. <laughs> <laughs> like, like what... Like, it seems like now every year we're going to have Brian Trenchard Smith on, so he's going to be talking about Dead End Drive-In soon. Oh, nice. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Like, all of a oh, sudden, a good all movie. of these films that he did are really, really prescient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aren't they? Aren't they ever? Yeah. yeah. It's, well, I mean, it's, uh, I, I, I think there's, uh, that that's almost like can go hand in hand parallel with, People are just realizing that guys like him can actually be good filmmakers. So when you make that those genre movies and stuff like that, I mean, I mean, Dead End Drive Drive In was prescient at the time too. You know, he was basing it yeah. on a lot of the politics of the of the time. Mm-hmm. But you know, when it's when it's a good movie like that, it stays. You know, it it, it ages well and. Uh, and yeah, Dead End Driving is aged especially well. He he was focusing on the right stuff then. It's still still going on now. So yeah, I can't wait to do that. He's also just a, a well, great, he, he's the best generous guest. of interview subject in that you say anything to him and it will remind him of a story. Yes. <laughs> but uh so once again, folks, please check out hypnagoria.com. Of course, check out the, you say it again, Chris, the Vault of Startling Monsters. The Vault of Startling Error. Yes. Oh, I got it right for a change? Okay. <laughs> and we've even had Thomas on there a couple times. Yes, well, we're going to, I think I'm going to have to invade again because we're going to talk about Dark City, right? Dark City, yes. Dark City. I oh. haven't ever seen oh, that. Oh, I'm going to show you Dark City. Oh, it's such a good movie. No, yeah, yeah. I always meant to watch mm. it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we'll have to watch that. I mean, we're not short of films to watch you in oh, the lockdown. No, no. no, we're not. <laughs> no, no, it's that kind of thing. But there are certain films that now it's like, I don't think I should watch that right this second. Mm. Well, we did Mask of the Death last week, so. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Virginia will give you the, a gift basket on your way out. You. Oh, lovely! Thank you. Thanks, Virginia. What, Ooh, what's in the What's foot. in the gift basket? Rabbit pie. Oh, very nice. <laughs> I like that. You
visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. And this is your Uncle Don saying good night. Good night, little kids. Good night. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards. <laughs>